Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. My name is Umar Hamid. I'm your host on the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategy, and advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Just before we get started, I've got a question for you. Do you have a negative voice inside your head? We all do, right? I'm going to help you remove that voice in under 30 days guaranteed. Not only remove it, but transform it. So instead of the voice that sabotages you, there's one that propels you to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Today, I've got the privilege of having Aaron Ryan here with me today. He's the president of the Brokerage House. Aaron, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to, uh, to doing this with you today. So Aaron, you know, if uh, you had a business coach, they would have told you the worst time in the history of the world to start a real estate company would be 2008 because the whole world was collapsing. What on earth made you go, you know, that's what I want to do? Yeah, I kind of uh, fell into it. I was a builder and developer and um, I had just sold a financial services company. I was building, developing Banks basically told me they weren't going to lend me any more money right around 08. They weren't doing construction loans. And, right. um, you know, my, my alternative was to start selling real estate. I had a license because I was selling my own products and, you know, I needed to do something. I needed to do something. You know, at that time, none of us knew if we were ever going to be making money again. And right. So I actually just joined a real estate company locally here in, in Beaverton, Oregon, and started selling real estate, got, re- you know, got really good at the, the client facing interactions mm-hmm. and then just kind of built from there. So when you went in, when you were selling your properties, you know, you built them, you loved them, you sold them. Was there a difference in mindset when you were selling other people's properties? Like, was it an easy thing to step into or was there some differences that you went, huh, I got to figure this out? Yeah, there definitely is. So when you're selling your own product as a builder or developer, at least for me, there wasn't a lot of emotional attachment, right? I did it for profit. I did it to earn a living. So my product was, I knew what my bottom line was. I knew what my margin was. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was it was a business transaction. When you started doing it for other other people, other homeowners, it was more emotional. So making that adjustment to the emotional aspect of real estate was, you know, something I had to get good at really fast. So one of the reasons, uh, if you choose to believe this, uh, the maker put other people in our lives is to learn from them because they kind of exemplify that. It's like a mirror being held up. So what did you learn from your clients? Because initially, you know, it's like, wait a minute, I used to do this business transaction. It's really simple to being confronted with people because people have issues around money that are pretty deeply entrenched in their psyche. And also just the emotion of this is my house. I want this much. So what did you learn from your clients that kind of gave you insights into yourself? You know, I learned, I mean, honestly, one of the main things that I learned at that time, I didn't have any children. I didn't have any kids. I wasn't married. So I learned patience really, really fast. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're used to doing your own thing and, and running your own ship and not having to answer to a client, it's completely different. It's right. a completely different mindset. It's a completely different system. It's a completely different process. So patience and, and uh, you know, the understanding that while I did this every day and this was my business, these folks didn't do this every day. This wasn't their business. They didn't understand what was going on. 
So you had to slow down, break it down to the, the minor detail and be very, very patient with people. And, you know, just really make sure that they, they felt like they were supported and that they, you know, had an advocate for them. At what point did you go from just being an agent to saying, you know, did you start a team first or did you start a company and start your own brokerage? I started a team first. So tell me about that transition because, you know, a lot of uh, realtors that get really successful go, I'm going to start a team. And then all of a sudden you go into a leadership role, which is usually different than you thought. So what was that transition like and what were the challenges? Yeah. So I'll start by saying this. You have a lot of realtors out there who try to start a team that have no business running a business, right? They're great salespeople. They're not great leaders. They're not great business people. So that's one of the major downfalls to, to our industry and working with a real estate team right now. There's one company in particular that, you know, promotes this. If you can sell real estate, you can lead a team. And it's not true. I mean, as you know, right, as a, as an, a, as a knowledgeable business person, it, it's a different skill set to, to run a business than it is just to be a great salesperson. So, you know, for me, why I got into the leadership position and, and started the team was I got really good at, at the daily sales to where it became overwhelming. So it actually started very, very minor. I just, I hired an assistant that worked for me part-time. She did all the paperwork because that right. was one of the aspects of the business that I was terrible at and I just didn't like doing it. Mm-hmm. So I had her in the office. She would design my flyers, process my paperwork, load up my listings. Then I got so busy that I got so many clients, I, I ended up needing to offload some of the new business that was coming in because I just I didn't have enough hours in the day. I was working you know, basically from eight o'clock in the morning, I mean, I'd get to the office at six 30, I'd be starting to meet with clients at eight, eight 30. And I'd be working till eight 30, nine o'clock at night. Right. And you can, you can do that for a, a period of time. But when you talk about doing it for three, four, five years, it becomes unsustainable. And Absolutely. so, yeah. So I ended up hiring, hiring a buyer's agent to be able to take the buyer's end of the business. And then I continue to work on listings. Yeah, that's where the gold is. So let's kind of backtrack. It's almost expected of people when you become successful as an agent that you'll start a team. And you're right that, you know, a lot of people have no business doing that and they waste sometimes two, three years down that journey. What advice would you give people? Because sometimes we have an illusion of, sure, I'm a business guy. Sure, I'm this. When they're really not. Uh, would there be some questions that you would suggest that they could ask themselves that would stop them from making a, a really bad mistake like that? You know, people follow leaders is my philosophy. People will mm-hmm. follow you if you're, if you're truly a leader. If you're the guy that has to stand up and say, I'm the boss or you know, I'm the one in charge, or if you have to announce yourself as the CEO of your company, right? I I think that 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 should cause you a bell to ring in your head, that you have to make those announcements, you have to elevate yourself to a leadership position by announcing it, as opposed to people just naturally following you. I think if you have people that naturally follow you, you're a leader, you can develop the skills that it takes to be uh, an effective business person, an effective leader, I think those people that have to stand up and announce themselves and you know have the whole self-importance thing, mm-hmm. 
folks that, you know, should sit down and do a self-evaluation and, and figure out if leadership is really for them and if they're really cut for it and if people really do follow them. So at what time did you decide that, okay, I'm going to go from uh, being a team leader to I'm going to start my own brokerage? That was an interesting transition. It was when I saw the brokerage that I was at, I saw things that were out of my control that I felt could be improved upon from a business, an operational, and a system standpoint. Mm -hmm. At that moment, that was when I knew that it was time for me to exit and leave. And, you know, I was the company's largest broker at that time. And I was one of the largest brokers in the region at that time for that company. So, you know, I, I, I didn't have a problem selling houses. I didn't have a problem getting new clients. I didn't have a problem from an operational perspective. I basically was my own brokerage within their brokerage. Right. So there were things that I just saw that they were doing operationally that I knew could be done better and more effective. And that's when I decided to make that transition. So going back to that time, my guess would be that you had pointed out some of these shortcomings to, to the broker. And was that the case? And no. And obviously they didn't do what they needed to do. Why do you think that was? Because that's a common thing that happens in a lot of companies. Sure. I, I think that, you know, there was conversations that I had with uh, the, the lady that was, you know, that owned the brokerage or that was the main operator of that brokerage. And when I had those conversations with her, she was you know, offended to the chain, you know, offended, almost offended that, uh, that I was, that I was bringing this to her attention. She had a lot of her family members that worked in the office Mm -hmm. and that would process our commission checks or do our compliance or whatever it was. Right. So she wasn't the most friendly when it came time to, uh, address her about some of the changes that needed to take place in order for me to stay. And so, you know, it, it just kind of continued to go down that road of, you know, expressing concern, right? Because at the end of the day, I was a client for her because I was paying to be there. I was paying a desk fee. I was paying brokerage fees right. to be there. Mm-hmm. And she just didn't want to listen. You know, she it, essentially, and I understand it, she chose family over business at that, at that time. And um, that's, that was kind of when the separation happened. So how do you stop yourself from falling in the same trap? Because oftentimes, you know, we look at the systems we've got and it's our baby. It looks beautiful. So how do you ensure that, you know, you don't get blinders on? That's an interesting, I think, I think we all have blinders on to some degree. You know, I think we all have blinders on in some, uh, in some form or fashion. My, my opinion and the reason that I've been able to continue to grow the brokerage and retain a, a large majority of our brokers, our staff everybody that works within our organization or that's a part of our team is because, you know, for me, a lot of it is you got to stay humble, right? You have to humble yourself to understand you don't know everything and you're never going to know everything. And you are always learning and you're learning from the people that are around you. And I learn, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, uh, you know, Umar, I, I learn from entry level folks that come into our organization. Mm-hmm. I learn from people who have been here 10 years. I learn from new brokers that come into our organization, I'm constantly asking them questions and then trying to figure out what motivates them and, and you know, what they, what they feel about the organization, what the perception is. 
I just try to stay humble and I try to ask a lot of questions to be, to be brutally honest with you. That's one of the traits of great leaders. We talk about what's leadership. And one of the things is that thirst for knowledge and always being hungry to find out what's happening and being inquisitive is an essential part of leadership. Uh, I was doing these workshops around the country and I would do workshops for tire workers in Dublin, Virginia, PhDs in Boston, Silicon Valley folks, so people of all different walks of life, education, financial backgrounds. And I would ask them this question, you know, who's someone that you admire in a leadership position and what was the attribute they had that you found most exciting? And people would, you know, sit down, make lists, then they shout out those attributes. And if you looked at the list that got generated, it was like maybe a hundred attributes on the wall. And it was different depending on which group you were dealing with, what their education level was. Then no matter what group it was, you said, okay, we've got 30 people in the room. I'd like you to go up to the attribute you think is the most important and put five check marks next to it. So the most check marks are the one you like. And the next one, put four, three, two, one. So we get the top five for all 30 some odd people. And then we just counted the check marks. And you know what? Didn't make a difference which part of the country, what level of education, what level of income, the five leadership traits were always the same. Wow. And uh, I don't remember all of them, but stuff that you would uh, expect, you know, somebody that can communicate really well, somebody that has compelling vision, somebody that has respect for the people that they lead uh, and just similar kind of stuff. And it was, that's what was like, wow, we all know what a great leader is. Like we might articulate it differently, but the knowledge of the group really condenses down to what we really need. And it really doesn't make a difference who's there. So, uh, now you have a brokerage with many locations. I do. One of the things that I find, so in the location you're at, uh, that would be head office in Oregon? Correct. How many people in that location? We have about 50. 50. So if I asked uh, some of your employees, what's it like working here? They would articulate in their own way of what the culture was. This is a great place to work. They were open. And so how do you think they would articulate your culture at head office? Like what would be some of the phrases they would use? Yeah, I well, first, I mean, to, to kind of take that question and, and break it down just, just for a second. So I think that it would be naive for me to think that everybody has a completely positive uh, outlook on the culture of the company, right? I mean, it's mm -hmm. it, everybody, you know, I, I my philosophy or my theory is if 70 to 80%, you know, 90% are giving us, you know, the, the feedback that we need that's positive. We're doing a pretty good job because I always look at it this way. When it comes to culture, I'm always working on that bottom 20%. I'm always working on the new 20% that comes in, mm -hmm. right? Hasn't bought in. They haven't been here long enough. They haven't had enough time with senior management. They haven't haven't had enough time to get the wins and the successes that really get people to buy into the culture. So for me, you know, there's two different segments of, of you know, of, of that question, right? There's two different segments of our employment uh, pool or our team that, that I would address in answering that question. So the people who have been established that have been here, you know, longer than six months that have been true team members, I would say that, you know, it's, it's run like a family organization. You know, we still know everybody's name before anybody can get hired at any of our locations. I still meet with them, whether that's face interaction or nowadays through zoom. And right. I still want an opportunity to talk to them. 
and ask them questions, get to know them, get to know about them, their personal life, get to know about their family, get to know about their business philosophy, about why they want to work within our, within our organization. So, you know, that, that would be, I, I would say if they had to narrow it down to a few words, it would be fast paced. It mm-hmm. would be, you know, uh, hopefully inspiring, you know, that's, that's, one of the things that, that I would hope is that we have a, an inspiring culture that helps people develop and, and become better career oriented. You know, we want to help people through their career path within real estate, within business, you know, not just, not just through their career, but also personally, personal development is important to us also. The other things that I would say that uh, from a cultural standpoint would be, you know, it's, it's, an aggressive organization. We're going through an aggressive growth phase. We're going through an aggressive. Um, we're going through an aggressive uh, building phase. We're moving into mm-hmm. new offices where we're going to be expanding most of our departments. We're taking one of our departments, which is our inside sales department, from fifteen inside sales agents to fifty-five in a matter. That's of huge. Days. That's a big growth, but it's to support our branch offices who are out there in the field. So, you know, to summarize that, that's, that's what I would say. If they had to uh, summarize our organization to just a few, you know, a few words, it would be, you know, family or, you know, family run, uh, you know, kind of that family run feel mm-hmm. the aggressiveness. It would be, you know, hopefully inspiring to them uh, career and personal development focused. That would be what I would say. Brilliant. So uh, notice I asked, what would they say and not what you want to say? Because oftentimes there's a disconnect. And if you're doing a really good job, it's the same thing. But then it gets complex. And it gets complex when you have offices in Florida and South Carolina and North Carolina. One wants to strive that, you know, we've got the same kind of vibe there. There's different cultures, but still... Uh, so how do you ensure that in the places that they're still like the family feel, that people feel cared for, that uh, all the things that you mentioned, fast pace, how do you ensure that when you're at head office that wow. the same kind of vibe goes around? That's an, I mean, that's, that's an excellent question. I, you know, I, go, I do a lot of these podcasts, and that's probably the number one question that I don't get asked enough mm-hmm. because that's the, that's the trick, right? That's the yeah. secret. And it was one of the main, I mean, to be honest with you, you know, Umar, it was one of the major roadblocks in our growth plan. You know, I think we started expanding out of home office probably around 2010, 2011, right around in there. And it was, it was, you know, it was a bumpy road for eight months, six, eight months, because they don't get that day-to-day interaction. They don't get a, you yep. know, we don't get to see them in the break room. We don't get to see them walking through the hall. So what the, the, the main thing I think that really ties people into organization is we have really good leadership within our organization. We have really nice. good, not talking about just me, but you know, I'm talking about sales management, operational management, um, inside sales management. We have really good leaders that keep the points of contact or the frequency of contact high. It's all about, you know, making them feel involved through personal contact. Yes. Systems and through success, right? So we focus and monitor those things. And, you know, we talk to our remote employees, remote agents, five, six, seven times a day. And so high frequent touches, 
Um, that's the only way that we found that can keep them engaged at a really high level. And then we also have a lot of corporate events that we do um, through different technology like Zoom or, or Join.me or whatever it is that allows them to participate kind of like we're doing right now, right? While we're doing a podcast and has done, you know, verbally through, through microphones, we're still looking at each other. Yeah. It just makes it a richer uh, communication. Absolutely. And so we do the of our communications in that exact manner because of exactly why you and I are doing that today, just because of the quality of the interaction. So one of the things I would suggest if you guys are not already doing it is, uh, the power of story, because we can have our values on the board and most values in companies, quite frankly, are bullshit because it's like uh, they've got stuff on the wall. And when you ask the employees, uh, what's it like here? They go, not like that. So sure. one of the ways to make it real is, so what would be one of the values for your company? One of the values for our company is it's, you know, I, I think the number one value of our, uh, of our company is taking care of the client at all costs. You know, okay. So let me pause right there if I could for a second. How would you know that one of your agents is looking after the client at all costs? Like, what would that look like? What would you be able to see, hear, or touch? So one of the things that we do is we always have either my, believe it or not, either myself or one of our sales managers, our director of sales, co-lists every property. So they have direct, so other brokers, clients, everybody has a direct contact to a member of our management team during every nice. transaction. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we have staff members that actually call escrow lenders to follow up on the day-to-day -day interactions that our brokers and our clients are having with those vendors. And then also we send a, a customer service survey to escrow that gets filled out by the client when they sign their closing documents so that we get direct feedback from the client also at the point of closing. So that if we have an issue with a broker, uh, an agent, whoever it is, we hear about it at some point during that transaction. Brilliant. And I think the suggestion I had was this, is that uh, deals are going to go south and there are going to be problems. Absolutely. And every single broker in the history of real estate has said, we got your back. We're your broker. We're going to do a great job. And capturing those stories, you know, hey, this was happening. There was a snowstorm. Our agent drove 10 miles to make sure it was done. Capturing those stories really makes those values become real. And then it's not just, you know, dead words on the wall. It's very much Oh, I know what that looks like. This is what looking after the customer, you know, no matter what the cost is, looks like in real life. It helps you give kudos to whoever did the heroic thing, but it also trains the newer agents coming in in terms of, oh, so it's not just words. This is real. This is what somebody did. And that's what I want to aspire to. Yeah. I mean, that that's powerful. I'll, I'll tell you, you know, it's funny, my wife now, but uh, yes. before she was my wife, uh, she worked as an agent uh, in the industry and actually came to our company. And, you know, she went through a snowstorm. You know, it's, it's just very similar to what you talked about. Yeah. She ended up driving through one of the worst and most dangerous conditions in Eastern Oregon to get to a client and ended up wrecking her Range Rover and getting rushed to the hospital so that she could. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a whole thing. She wasn't hurt. Thank, you know, thank yeah. good. But, um, you know, she, she ended up actually having to go to the hospital because for a client, you know, to make sure that we got their offer and they were taken care of and had that face-to-face -face interaction and were taken care of. So, you know, there are real stories like that, that are, have very, very, uh, powerful impacts. So I agree with you. 
Yeah, stories are really powerful. It was such a delight uh, sitting down with you. Before we part company, for other people that are starting teams or already leading teams and they want to do better, what would be three pieces of advice you'd give them that would allow them to go, huh, I'm glad I listened to this podcast? Yeah. So I would rewind to the first part of our podcast, right? Or first part of our episode here. Just because you're a good salesperson doesn't mean you are equipped to run a team. You know, have yes. a very honest, very real conversation and evaluation of your skill set and what mm-hmm. you're I would tell you if you're doing it just for money, just for, you know, to, to increase revenue, it, it's gonna be a very, very tough path for you to um to succeed. You have to, you know, have a vested interest in your people. You have to have a vested interest like we talked about in your culture. You have to have a vested interest in, you know, your people's success. The third thing that I would say to you is, and and this is one of the things that I've seen happening a lot in our industry, is people get into the business because they don't like, you know, they, they get into the business, they start selling homes, they realize they don't like selling homes, so they want somebody else to do it. You, It's very, very tough and difficult to lead people, to get them to do things you're not willing to do yourself. To this day, I still love going out and listing houses when I get the opportunity right. to do it. I, I take any opportunity I can because I love it and I'm really good at it. And it's you know the most dollar productive activity I can actually do in our organization, believe it or not. So you, those are the three things that I would give somebody advice if they're looking to start a team. That is brilliant advice. And I'll just back it up with, I've got a client that uh, is one of the uh, leading recruiters in the country. And every day he goes out to the bullpen and makes his calls with everybody else. Number one, you know, I'm not doing it in my office. I'm actually with you doing it. He walks his talk and he inspires people that even when you're at the top, you can't not prospect. <laughs> That's right. Prospecting is the key to any business. That's another tip I would give people looking to start a business or a team is that, you know, it's all about having the leads and it's all about keeping your pipeline full no matter what business you're in. If you don't have customers or people to talk to, it's going to be tough to be successful. If you're not meeting with people, it's called being unemployed. Uh, Aaron, thank you so much uh, for being on the program. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on today. It was a pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 